0: whoda well, thunkers this is the host of the whoda Thunked podcast zeb coming at you with episode 178 of the whoda Thunked podcast titled rabies this week I will be talking about rabies and um a bunch of other spooky stuff for the rest of the month of October first before we get into that let's do the recommendation segment it's not really recommendation segment it's more like a Heads up, it's Fright Fest. This week, I recommend you go back and listen to my past episodes released during the month of October. That would be October 2020, 2021, 2022, and now 2023. That's right. I shamelessly am recommending you listen to my own content. Every October, I try to keep things creepy and do a Who to Thunk at Fright Fest. I think maybe last year, I only did like the last episode, the one closest to, to Halloween, but I couldn't help it. This year, I had to start off Creepy right off from the bat. Um, yeah, I try to do different creepy stuff, and I call it my Who to Thunk at Fright Fest in honor of the AMC, um, American, Mo- American Movie Classics. It was, a, it was an old network. I don't even know if it's around anymore. I haven't had cable in years, but I remember as a kid, flipping the channel to AMC on TV and watching old classic horror movies with my dad um, all throughout the month of October. Uh, My dad and I both love horror movies now. And I used to be scared of them as a kid, but at one point it just switched. I think it was like junior or senior. Uh, What's the first one? Freshman year of high school. I just switched to being able to appreciate them as movies and art and not as seeing them as real things. And I still get some, uh, some scares from movies, but I immediately am able to you know, disassociate that from reality, which I think is a healthy thing and appreciate them as really cool movies. So I love horror movies. And I love AMC's fear fest as a kid. So now I call my podcast for during the month of October fright fest doing a similar thing. So that's my recommendation. Listen to my own stuff. <laughs> I need more listens. I've already in case you haven't noticed no ads. I've, I've lost my Spotify sponsor. But that's okay. I'm, I never made it for the money. So we're good. <laughs> I told my mom, one week i said ah oh, this week we lost my my spotify sponsor there goes about oh i don't know i was making like somewhere between five and fifteen dollars a month like not not much not even not even usually enough to pay for like netflix <laughs> but anyway um i told my mom that she goes oh bummer well okay. There's always new things to do in life. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to stop doing the podcast. She goes, oh, I just assume you would since there's no money in it. I said, I did this for years with no money at all. <laughs> and I see you know, I'll do it again. Anyway, into the main event now, rabies, it's a viral encephalitis. That's a virus that causes inflammation of the brain. And it has symptoms such as Fever, pain, hyperactivity, excitability, excessive salivation, confusion, and very uh, rarely a rare symptom of hydrophobia, that's fear of water. Rabies has sometimes been called hydrophobia due to this really rare symptom. Rabies, I think is t- 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 terrifying. It scares the ever living crap out of me and it's very real and it's something that could impact you or I. and um, so this episode is not just not just something that's creepy, although I will be talking about a bunch of creepy stuff and how it ties into horror um, horror themes from millennia, you know forever. Uh, but also it's it's a bit of a PSA because if you understand rabies it's it's a ver- it's a lot more a lot easier to not fall victim to this absolutely horrifying disease. Now with modern medicine, there are ways to be okay with it and and live, live alongside with, you know, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's a bit of a PSA. So listen, because if you, even if you were like, you know what, I hate who to thunk it, I want to stop listening right now. That's fine with me. As long as you go and Google what happens, you know, how to prevent dying from rabies because it's one of the horriblest ways to die. And we're going to talk about that. One of the most notable aspects of rabies is that it can only be diagnosed by its symptoms. But by the time the symptoms appear, it's already too late because you're going to die a horrible, painful, suffering and and shameful, awful death. I'm not even exaggerating. If rabies is not treated before symptoms appear, it is 100% fatal. With an asterisk. Uh, the asterisk meaning some very new treatments have led to very few patients recovering from rabies after symptoms appear, but very little is known about this treatment. And I heard it on an NPR's Radio Lab podcast. I'll talk about this later in the podcast, but 100% fatal up until like 2004. Literally no one ever recorded has survived rabies after the symptoms appear. And, and now there's like, You can count them on one hand how many people have survived it even though we throw everything at it and it's a disease that's been around forever rabies has the highest mortality rate than any other disease on earth if there was a uh, in that radio lab podcast they started off with imagine an olympics for diseases you know there'd be different different uh, events like how you know which one can spread to the most uh humans which one can last the longest which one the one the number one event would be how fatal is it right rabies wins gold medal every time rabies is most commonly spread via a bite from an infected mammal dogs raccoons cats foxes etc you don't know when or where the disease or we don't know when or sorry when or where the disease originated i had a, a belch stuck in there an inaudible belch sorry that's why I got choked up there but anyway humans don't know when or where this disease came from it's so old but there was a 2012 uh, phylogenic analysis published in the Journal of General Biology that suggests the current canine genotype of the illness may have been predated by another genotype so something came before um, suggests that it might be older than the, the dogs themselves but the common connection and by far the most common way the illness is spread is by being bitten by a dog, the way, most common way it's spread to humans. As dogs have been man's best friend longer than any other domesticated animal, it just makes sense. It's kind of the same way as what dog is most responsible for attacks on humans in the U.S., golden retrievers. Is it because golden retrievers are more aggressive than most dogs? No, not really. It's just because they're the most common by far. Literally every state in America, the most common dog is the golden retriever. So if they're the most common, they're going to, you know, same, same idea here. What's the most common cause of rabies in humans? The animals that we're most, that we most spend our time around, dogs. Doesn't mean dogs are most likely to get rabies or anything like that. It's just we're around them the most. Somewhere between 33 and 40,000 years ago, we humans started our relationship with dogs, but dogs came into contact with the rabies virus long before that, long before us, or I should say dogs, they were wolves before they were dogs. So... Um, the relationship between dogs and rabies is even older than the relationship between dogs and humans. Not only is rabies the most deadly and horrifying disease, it is also one of the oldest. Rabies is one of the oldest diseases ever recorded. A 2017 article in the Journal of Tropical Medicine and Infectious Diseases cited 4,000 concepts related to rabies in animals and humans. 4,000 different uh, references to humi's <laughs> references to rabies throughout history. The oldest being a cuneiform clay tablet found within the archaeological record titled The Laws of Ishanuna. So, this is, you know, sketched in a clay tablet. It's an ancient clay tablet found through by archaeologists, and it's talking about rabies. It was from the Sumerian and later Akkadian city state in present day Iraq. The tablet is over 4,000 years old, and it says, If a dog becomes rabid, it makes that authority known to its owner. But he does not watch over his dog so that it bites a man and causes his death. The owner of the dog shall pay forty shekels of silver. So basically, it's written weird and translated from ancient ancient languages to our current one. But basically, if you have a dog and it becomes rabid and you're aware of it, and that dog isn't monitored to make sure it doesn't and it ends up biting someone else, you, as the owner of the dog, you have to pay a heavy fine, 40 shekels of silver, what does that mean to you and me? Uh, You should know 40 shekels of silver is a lot of money back then. During the same time, I think it was the... What was that? It was an old law. Anyway, an old king, a very famous king, wrote um, down in his laws that a boat at the same time only cost two shekels. So you can buy a boat with two shekels, you have to pay 40 shekels if your dog that you know of has rabies and gives someone else rabies, That's a lot of money you got to pay. That's how seriously they took it way back then. There are also dog incantations from the same time period that suggest that these ancient people figured out the disease was in the dog's saliva. Accurately, they figured that out. And if bitten, the person was certain to die. Like if you're bitten by a rabid dog, they were like, adios, get out of here. Nobody wants to see, be around that. And which is horrible, but it's true. And um, a lot of instances through history, they, people would just, you know, do, commit homicide on someone who's been who's been uh, bit with rabies because that was the kinder thing to do. The word rabies is from the Latin word madness, which found its origin in a Sanskrit word for to rage. So going back how many different languages, how many different cultures, this thing is known as absolute madness, rage. Ancient scholars from all over talk about this horrifying disease. Aristotle, Hippocrates, Pliny, Ovid, and Cicero, and even Chinese texts back uh, dating back to the 3rd century AD references rabies. The 2nd century Greek philosopher Celsus suggested cauterizing the wound when bitten. It is a uh, which honestly that's not the worst idea. Um burn it. You get bit by rabid something, burn it. It's unclear how effective burning the spot of the dog bite was against rabies, but it's remained the go-to treatment for rabies bites up until the 19th century. So that's what they did. And there's a bunch of other things that Radiolab podcast I listened to talked about, a bunch of crazy ones. One of the main ones was (laughs) a doctor would pluck the feathers from a a chicken's butt, their anus, and then put that chicken's butt over the wound. Now, (laughs) putting aside the fact that that did nothing to cure rabies that's terribly unsanitary terry you don't want chicken shit in your in your open wound but anyway but they did that for hundreds of years that's what they would try for hundreds of years and why would they do that well it's sort of like you know dumb luck someone gets bitten by a dog um not all dogs have rabies not all dog bites are rabid right so if someone gets bitten by a dog and the doctor's like hmm i know let's try chicken butt chicken butt treatment they put the chicken butt on person doesn't get rabies voila they must think it must have cured rabies well in fact the dog may have never been rabid to begin with might have just been a really slobbery dog that didn't like the guy so lots of different things this this disease has been around forever and it's so horrific that treatments throughout the history have been so desperate to treat it that there's absolute crazy (laughs) absolute crazy treatments throughout history but and it wasn't until fairly recently that we found an actual good way to try to treat rabies but we're not there yet odd because the other treatment celsus suggested uh, other than cauterizing which isn't a bad idea i don't think it was very effective but not a bad idea but the other the other treatment suggestion that celsus gave was holding the victim underwater <laughs> now for those subjected to this treatment of being held underwater those that didn't drown then died of rabies anyway, so so they got rid of that one real quick. The only other treatment people used was prayer, and well, depending on, you know, who you are, what you believe in, um, medical science would say that doesn't do much at all, uh, except it, it, you know, prayer can be very comforting to a patient, which could be beneficial in multitudes of ways. But, you know, it's prayer They didn't actually do anything physical to the body. So in medieval Europe, a common treatment was to place the hair of the dog that delivered the bite, sometimes after being charred, like burnt into the wound. Now, this was a medical suggestion from the Roman naturalist Pliny the Elder. Now, this treatment is the so you get bit by the dog. I'm assuming they probably killed the dog because it's probably suspected to have the worst disease known to man. They take the hair, they burn it, they stuff it in the wound. Probably did nothing. But why I bring this up, this treatment is the etymology, the origin of etymology of of the term, the hair of the dog that bit you. So if you're like me, you like drinking alcohol, you've definitely heard that before. It's the term that refers to an alcoholic chaser that is supposed to cure your hangover. FYI, I never found the hair of the dog to cure my hangover, ever. (laughs) Some people say it works. I don't. I think that's just a trick to get you to drink the alcohol that made you sick and I don't know. Drink less. Alcohol is poison. <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm doing sober October, so I, I can say that now. Normally, I love drinking and I drink probably too much, but this month, so dry as a bone. No drinking for me. Anyway, I never found the hair of the dog to cure my hangover, but I'm sure it is more effective than the original hair of the dog treatment that did Didly squat to cure rabies. While there are lots of historical records of rabies cases and unsuccessful treatments throughout history, not too many of them are all that interesting. I actually pick and chose a couple of them. Um, a lot of my sources had way more historical references. Um, but you know, they weren't that interesting. The most interesting thing is that this is about all these different historical references is just how many there are, how often this disease is mentioned by so many different cultures, separated by both space and time you have, you know, ancient china you have ancient greeks you have even native americans talked about rabies it's everywhere it was it was a horrible thing and it was so impactful to these ancient people as it is today so horrifying to see that of course someone wrote about it somewhere rabies is one of the scariest diseases out there and it has been scaring the crap out of us humans for as long as history has been recorded and likely much longer than that before we wrote it down we just wouldn't know because it wasn't written down A notable historical case is that in 1996, a group of doctors at at a medical conference were presented a set of symptoms for a patient referred to as EP. So it's supposed to be anonymous hypothetical patient. They gave symptoms to this panel of doctors and said, hey, how'd this person die? And they, they said the hypothetical person was a writer from Richmond, Virginia. They were asked to diagnose the patient. They concluded the patient died of rabies. Well, turns out EP was Edgar Allan Poe died in 1849 so the diagnosis obviously can't be confirmed but it is now widely accepted not not officially but widely accepted that the cause of the famous writer's death was rabies so interesting and if you there's a couple movies made about it um with John Cusack uh, and the stories about Edgar Allan Poe's death it was very mysterious and weird and he was doing some weird stuff he, he was found frozen on a park bench it, it's weird anyway um, yeah, they think that was rabies, uh, that, that weird, mysterious death. Today, one of the greatest weapons we humans have against rabies is vaccines. Crazy that that's become a hot button political topic in the past couple of years. But um, whether you believe in vaccines or not, um, I think you'd be dumb to say you don't believe in the power of vaccines at all. Uh, we literally have eradicated some diseases. So um, yeah, and if you get rabies, I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'd be inter- <laughs> I, get, I, I I do get the controversy about around vaccines today. I'm not trying to give it credit or anything. I just can understand where people are coming from with, you know, all the, how vaccines have been distributed. Most recent vaccines have been distributed, but I'm telling you right now, if you got bit by a, a rabid dog or a rabid raccoon and you're like, I'm against vaccines, I don't think I should get them. The doctor, you know, if they, if they cared about your well being at all, would slap you across the face. would strap you down and give you the vaccines anyway, because I'm telling you whether you believe in them or not dying from rabies, (laughs) maybe I'm biased. I'm terrified by this stuff. Dying from rabies has got to be the worst, one of the worst things I could imagine. So you're like, I don't believe in vaccines. (laughs) If anybody cared about your well-being, they would just physically force you to take them. The rabies vaccines. In 1881, Louis Pasteur developed a successful vaccination, protecting cattle from anthrax. It was a big deal. Uh, it saved, you know, a lot of money in the cattle industry, the the meat industry, milk industry it was a really big deal. So he also, not soon, or soon after, started to develop a vaccine for dogs to protect them against rabies. His fir- he first grew, excuse me, I'm burping up a storm. I'm trying not to make it audible. I know that's gross, but <laughs> at least you don't smell it. <laughs> he first grew the virus in rabbits, then weakened it by drawing the nerve tissue, drying the nerve tissue. I don't know how- I don't know the full procedure of drying them. Anyway, he gave it to rabbits and you tested on these rabbits, poor little rabbits. But, you know, that's how science has progressed through the uh, countless horrible deaths of and suffering of, of lab animals. That's how we figure stuff out first did it on a whole bunch of rabbits. It took decades until a comprehensive uh, vaccination protocol program was developed, but it was eventually. Those shots you are legally obligated to give your pets, the ones I always gripe about when I have to take my dog Rorschach or my cat Beerus to the vet for and pay for, um, I gripe, but they're really important. They drastically lower the number of rabies cases in humans. You know, Like I said, important, rabies bad, and it's good that these vaccines that you give your pets keep those rabies from being spread. In 1885, Pasteur used the vaccine on nine-year-old Joseph Meister, who was mauled by a rabid dog. And this is—I thought this was a super interesting case or super interesting story uh, for doing this. Pasteur could have not only been ruined his career as a vaccine scientist, but could have been sent to prison as he was not a licensed physician and therefore not legally permitted to deliver vaccination to a human. Now, he couldn't administer medicine or vaccination, but he did anyway, uh, considering the alternative for little Joey meister horrific painful suffering and death pasture went ahead with treatment pasture and his colleagues gave 13 inoculations in 11 days little joey meister made a complete recovery it was a breakthrough people were like what someone survived being attacked by a rabid animal no way it went the news spread worldwide it quickly word spread about joseph meister surviving rabies pre-symptom rabies and patients flocked to pasture for treatment from all over the world by the time Louis pasture Louis Pasteur died nine years later, over 20,000 people um, had received his vaccine, that that's the uh, considered a post exposure prophylactic vaccine, um, sometimes referred to as pep post exposure protocol, whatever, it is important to know that the vaccine for rabies is only effective if given before symptoms appear, which you do have a decent amount of time, it all depends on where you're bitten, and how far away that the, the entry of rabies is to your brain. You're bitten in the neck, you don't have much time. You maybe have hours, you're bitten on the toe, you might have weeks or months um, because of the way the virus works, which is very different from most viruses in past years time it required up to 20 shots and it is a big painful needle it's not fun to get rabies treatment but like i said better than alternative today it only takes 4 shots so it's not nearly as bad not nearly as painful secondly if administered within 10 days of exposure it's nearly 100% effective so if you get it cl- if you if you're treated Quickly enough, it's 100% effective, you're not gonna have rabies, it's gonna be okay. Don't need to freak out. However, if you get bit by a weird acting animal, a bat, a, a raccoon or something, um, you know, raccoons typically don't come out during the day. So if you're bit by, if if, if it breaks the skin, or if their saliva get gets somewhere on you, even a scratch, don't mess around. Seek medical help because you don't wanna mess around. If you get it in a timely manner, you're gonna be okay. Today, the world hor- world. <laughs> World Health Organization WHO estimates 59,000 people die of rabies each year mostly in Asia and Africa while we humans can get it from main, uh, many different kinds of mammals dogs are responsible for 99% of transmission to humans due to our lives being so intertwined with dogs like I said before but Pasteur's vaccine treatments that came along as early as 1885 if before that if someone was bitten by a rabid animal they were as good as dead so 1700s whatever for thousands of years bitten by an odd acting super salivating dog you're doomed there are their only hope was that the animal that bit them was actually was just you know acting funny in general and wasn't actually rabid which I don't know it's unlikely then when the vaccines came along there was hope get the treatment before the symptoms come and there was a decent chance of survival a really good chance of survival but even after past years vaccine, if someone exhibited symptoms, which was common, as most people didn't equate a bite with rabies, bite with, you know, just a simple scratch or a simple bite from a bat or something, as hor- didn't equate that with horrible death. They'd just be like, eh, I'm not worried about it. They were doomed if those symptoms showed up. Like 100% chance of one of the most horrific things to plague mankind for as long as writing has existed would happen to the, that person. And the Babylonians and the, and the, uh, Acadians talked about this stuff. This is how old it is. Thousands of years ago. And, and genetic testing suggested it existed way before canine. So yeah, it's scary stuff. It's an ancient horror. That's why I thought it'd be great to open it for Fright Fest. <laughs> well, in 2004, that changed the whole symptoms thing. Just a little bit, though. Not a whole lot. Still really don't want to get the symptoms for this stuff, but it's not 100%. It's like 999 and I first heard of this story on NPR's Radiolab podcast titled Rodney Versus Death. They spell out versus, so R-O-D-N-E-Y versus, V-E-R-S-U-S, death. Uh, I do have a link on the blog if you want to check that out, but you can Google Radiolab rabies and it'll take it right to it. In 2004, a girl from Milwaukee went to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. Pretty quickly, her symptoms were obviously not from the flu as she started to become like really stiff, have lots of pain, things that weren't really equated with the flu. Doctors were like, we don't know what this is. When the mother of the girl told the doc that she had been bitten by an odd acting bat in church a few weeks back, the pediatrician went pale and said, I'll be right back, left the room. He was confirming the information with colleagues before informing the family that their daughter was practically doomed with the most fatal disease known to man. So he wanted to make sure he was right on it. After the family was fully informed, they were freaked out, understandably, but ultimately we're like, okay, so let's try any experimental treatment out there, literally anything, throw the book at this. I w- don't want my daughter to die this way. If she is doomed to horrible pain and death, we will try anything because anything is better than that. One of the first things the hospital says was let's put him in hospice so she's comfortable. And they're like, is she going to survive that? They're like, no, it just makes her less, feel less pain. It's like, okay, let's try something. The pediatrician, the doctor found that the rabies virus works differently than most viruses. He was like, let's try it. I'm gonna look into this, I'm gonna see what I can do, but absolutely no promises. This thing is 100% fatal. He starts looking into things. He finds the virus acts differently, starts doing his research, sounds like an awesome doctor, where most viruses enter the body, multiply at the site of entry, enter the bloodstream and spread all over the body until they find the tissue that they, you know, are most suited to multiply in. The rabies virus doesn't act that way. So think about it. If you get something like a viral infection and you get it at a scratch on the finger, it'll multiply at that spot on the finger. It'll try to get in the bloodstreams, go all over the body. It's not what rabies does. Rabies doesn't do that. It, 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 enters in the, uh, so the entry point, let's say for this girl, she got bit in the finger by the bat. It enters at the entry point in Milwaukee girl's case, the left index finger, then proceeds to latch onto the closest nerve that it can find. Um, Sorry, fixing typos here. <laughs> the rabies virus then slowly crawls along the nervous system at a rate of about two centimeters per hour, which blew my mind. <laughs> this is so weird. Like I, I guess I didn't really understand how viruses work, but the whole how other viruses work: entry point, multiply, go to bloodstream, then find the tissue they like. So let's say one tissue does does its thing best in the lungs, like a like like COVID affects the lungs the most. You know that makes sense to me. This is weird rabies sounds like a very, it doesn't multiply at the entry point, it just latches onto the nerve and crawls, literally crawls up the nervous system, and then they can clock it. They can clock its speed, like they pro, they literally know what a 40-yard 40, 40 dash the rabies could, virus could do, two centimeters per hour. So for rabies virus to travel up the length of your finger, it might take a day, up your entire arm, maybe a few weeks, it's slow, but once it reaches the brain, you're screwed. So it inflames the brain and starts wreaking havoc, controlling the the person, making them go mad, making them do uh, act out in violence, unable to you know slurred speech. And about thirty percent of the people it paralyzes them, so they can't move at all. But most people act like zombies; they act like absolute madness. So even though the thing's slow, you don't want to mess around. Well, Milwaukee girls doctor started looking at past twenty the past twenty years of rabies cases. It's very morbid; they all died. And also learned that once the victims are dissected, you know, I guess it's called an autopsy. The victim's brain is actually found fine, uh, pretty much un, not destroyed, intact, and it's good to go. Where they expected, you know, someone acting like that, they expected the brain to be like decayed and horrible looking, inflamed. It's fine. So he thinks, huh? Rabies virus must not destroy the brain; it just hijacks it and kills the victim via the symptoms. And all the symptoms that they do once the rabies virus gets to the brain, everything it's doing is trying to make the victim salivate and bite other people, act out, be violent, you know, try to bite. Sounds like a zombie virus because it kind of is. And the whole reason why the hydrophobia, why they're scared of water is so that saliva isn't diluted. So the saliva in the rabies victim's mouth is super compact with other rabies viruses so it can spread. That's what all viruses want to do. They want to spread, multiply, multiply, and just, you know, wreak havoc. That's how the rabies does it. It hijacks your brain, makes you do things that is more makes you more likely to bite other people. That's why rabid dogs bite. This is, it's so creepy. It freaks me out. <laughs> anyway, it hijacks the brain, kills the victim via the symptoms, not drinking, you know, muscles acting crazy before the immune system of the person can destroy the rabies virus, which it sounds like based off the past autopsies, that it does. The immune system eventually does get to the brain, kills the rabies virus, but it just does it too late. It's way The rabies virus is way quicker than your immune system. So he thinks, what if I can buy the immune system enough time to get rid of the rabies virus before the patient dies? Sure enough, he induces the Milwaukee girl into a monitored coma. For weeks, she's like this, given IV and monitored closely. When they wake her up, her pupils respond to light, and eventually she wakes up but very slowly. The recovery was not easy. Uh, In the podcast, she talks about it. She had lost months of her memory. This happened, I think, in the winter that she was hospitalized or late winter. She couldn't remember anything until like Thanksgiving, months before. And she had to teach herself how to walk and talk again. Um, Like her muscles wouldn't respond to her brain. Um, The first case ever recorded of a rabies victim's who showed symptoms and survived. And I have a picture on the blog of her graduating from college after this all happened. Amazing. So it does happen. Now, uh, there have been other studies like this, like one Peruvian doctor who went deep into the heart of the Amazonian rainforest to test people who uh, regularly came into contact with vampire bats. The hope was to gain insight into rabies victims that aren't normally studied, people who get it from vampire bats. What he found was that about 7% of the population had rabies antibodies in their system, and the only way this could happen is if at some point someone had rabies in them and survived. They survived rabies. So the Peruvian doctor disputes the case of the Milwaukee girl, uh, what's now known as the Milwaukee Protocol. The Peruvian doctor says the Milwaukee girl survived not because of the Milwaukee protocol, like the induced coma, but because she had antibodies naturally and they tested her and she did have antibodies. Now, of course, she would probably have antibodies because she survived it. But just how he suspects a small percentage of our entire population probably has some kind of immunity to rabies but it's still a rough disease and you don't want to get it. So it's disputed how Milwaukee girl survived, but the thing is she survived. And that doesn't, that had never been recorded before. In the end, the Milwaukee protocol has been used on about 30 people. And that's at the time of the radio lab radio lab podcast came out in 2013. So yes, that's a decade old number, but still 30 people, uh, and by 2013 had been given the Milwaukee protocol induced coma from rabies and you know, uh, guess how many survived? About five of them. It's not a big number, but five more than ever had before the Milwaukee protocol. Um, so whether it's the Milwaukee protocol, the induced coma or the antibodies found, the Peruv- found by the Peruvian doctor, which, whichever one is saving these people, one thing is for sure that before 2004, it was zero cases of people surviving symptomatic rabies and it being recorded. So now that number is not zero. It is a small chance. So why did I do an episode on this, on rabies? Well, rabies, you know, put simply, rabies scares the shit out of me. And it's in October, so Halloween's coming up and I usually do spooky themed episodes on in October. And, you know, like I call the Fright Fest. So that's why I picked this. Rabies scares me. I don't know if it scares you, but I think it definitely should, because it's real. And I think it would be beneficial for everyone to be afraid and aware of rabies and the potential horrors that it presents. If a person is aware of rabies, And how important it is to seek medical help quickly that means fewer people die in this horrific horrible way that has plagued our species for as long as history has been written and i am not the only person who is scared of rabies literary scholars have long suspected rabies as the direct influence for some of the most horrifying monsters think about it vampires what's a vampire well get bit by a bat turn into a violent monster obsessed with biting others That's rabies. Werewolves get bit by a dog or a wolf and turn into a violent monster obsessed with feasting or biting others. That's rabies. Zombies get bit by a violent monster of a human and turn into a violent monster human obsessed with biting others. That's rabies. That's what rabies does. It infects you. It goes to your brain. It like starts pulling your brain like a puppeteer and and tells you to act crazy and bite people and don't drink water because it'll dilute its virus in your mouth and it's terrifying. Okay? And lastly. I do not condone this or suggest anyone to look these up. Don't do it as they are horrifying and real. Do not watch these, but I'm going to tell you about it because this might be part of my fear of it. There are tons of rabies victims videos available on YouTube. It's public information. I'm not saying anything new. I'm not telling you to look up anything that's illegal, but it is horrifying and I do not think you should watch it regardless of your age because they're scary. The only benefit i got out of watching a few seconds of these videos and keep in mind i like watching messed up videos i watch you know cops pulling people over shootouts you know i back when bum fights was the thing i watched that as a teenager i'm not proud of it but i did i watch messed up stuff and this really is it's it's a different level the the the, the, the noises that come out of these people's mouths watching them try to drink water and just physically unable to do it it's 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 really tragic and i it breaks my heart that people have to suffer this way. But, you know, watching the few seconds of those hydrophobia rabies videos to research this episode, it instilled a very real and deep fear in me. I think this thing has plagued our species for so long that we have some kind of innate fear of this stuff, what they call it, cardinal fear or carnal fear or whatever, which may save me one day if I get bit by a raccoon that is rabid or a dog. Instead of brushing it off, until symptoms arrive, I'll certainly be going to the hospital and asking for rabies treatment and testing right away. So I think that's beneficial. Like I said, I don't think you should look up those YouTube videos, but they are pretty messed up and very rare. And I don't know. I think it could benefit people if they saw them, but I I really don't think you should, because it's, it's so messed up. Anyway, (laughs) I know it's morbid. That's, that's, uh, Who to Thunk at Fright Fest. It's terrifying. It's creepy. Welcome to the Fright Fest. Thanks for tuning in, Huda Thunkers. Until next week. <laughs>